Turn to John chapter 10. And if you have descriptive headings in your Bible, you'll see generally something about the good shepherd at the start of chapter 10. And this is such a sweet, sweet passage where we are given this this picture of our Savior who is the lamb who was slain as not just a lamb, but also as the great, the good, the one true shepherd who loves his sheep and cares for them, tends them, and ultimately gives his life up for the sheep. And then also that he is the door into the sheepfold. And so think about that just as we start. You know, you've got Jesus is the good shepherd of his sheep, but he's also the lamb that was slain, and he's also the door into the, into the sheepfold, the place where the sheep are safe and protected. And all through Scripture, you've got this, you've got speaking of uh, the people of God, you have the analogy of sheep that are used regularly. When you see the, um, the Old Testament prophets, they're referred to as shepherds in various places. The religious leaders are referred to as shepherds. Um, so really this idea of, Tate, would you go grab me some, uh, or a cup of water, please? Thank you. Um, so all through scripture, this analogy is central. And it's not just an analogy, it's, a, it's in a very real sense, it's the actuality. Whenever we see um, these kinds of comparisons that are made, sometimes they're, they're more parable and more comparison. And other times, thank you, son. Other times they are more the description of our reality through the speaking of spiritual truths. And so it is in this case that... <clears throat> Shepherds exist, sheep exist here in this world to give us some idea of what it means that Jesus is the good shepherd and that we are sheep and that he is the lamb that was slain. And so this is something that you could dwell on, this idea of being sheep or of what it means to be a shepherd or to be cared for or that Jesus is called the lamb that was slain. The more you learn about shepherds, the more you learn about sheep, the more this truth will make sense to you. And you can dwell on this and, and learn about this and grow spiritually. And I encourage you to do that. 
Now, the book of John is not uh, like the other Gospels. It doesn't, its purpose is not to sort of tell from beginning to end, either in a short or long amount of time, the, the life of Jesus. The purpose of the book of John is to give us what's necessary, according to John, for us to hear in order that we might believe. And so, um, order and timing are less important in the book of John. And, or, or, I, or I should say, it's, it's not a chronological order necessarily that we're getting. Um, but the order of the text is put together in such a way that he, he strings things together that he wants to, to clarify they, 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 they work together. There is a purpose for where he puts things. So if you look back at chapter 9, we're going into chapter 10, but at the end of chapter 9, Jesus says that the Pharisees, the Jewish religious leaders, are blind. And now, as we start chapter 10, Jesus speaks of the relationship between himself and his people, between the people and the leaders of the people, the religious leaders. And the central point that he makes here at the beginning of chapter 10 is that only those who follow Jesus are true and faithful religious leaders. This is in contrast to what he just got done saying to the Pharisees that they are blind. So it's not entirely clear when uh, Jesus says this, gives this story, uh, or this lesson, I should say, at the, at the beginning of chapter 10. But it is clear that John has put it there on purpose right after the story of the blind man being healed. You follow what I'm saying? John is trying to, to connect those intentionally. And so this story of the the good shepherd, the sheep, the religious leaders of the of the people, which are called the the under shepherds, um, all of that flows from this story that just happened, where Jesus says to the Pharisees that they are blind. And the, so the, what we see in, in this passage is that the reason the Pharisees are blind is because they don't believe Jesus. They don't follow the good shepherd. And the consequence of this is that they are harmful to the people of God, the people who are following them. And so our work this morning and always, is to learn the voice of our good shepherd and to learn to follow that voice and to ignore all of the other voices. So let's stand for the reading of God's word. From John chapter 10, we're going to be reading reading verses 1 through 18.
Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him, because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock, with one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The Good Shepherd, as we see Jesus describe himself in verse 11, he calls himself the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd is Jesus, right? Jesus who loves and cares for the sheep. Ultimately, giving his life up for the sheep in order that they may live. Now, Today, we have a lot of jobs that are very safe jobs. And even the jobs that are dangerous, we have a very careful regulation uh, about what is and isn't allowed to be done on those jobs. I don't know if you guys have ever been up on the roof of a building that's under construction or seen the men who are up there working on uh, on a roof or patching it or something like that. But 
you will usually see that there is a um, there's there's some sort of a, a fence or a ribbon that they'll set up six feet from the edge of the building. If they don't have to be working at the edge of the building, they'll they'll put up a little barrier so that they can see when they're coming close to the edge of the building. <clears throat> and if you come and you have to come closer to the edge of the building for your work, then they'll usually require you to uh, put on some, some kind of a safety harness. Right? So we've, we've got all these regulations, and you can pick any job where there's danger, um, and there's various regulations and rules in order to try to keep you safe. And this is a good thing. We want people to be safe and not to be cavalier with life and let people just die on the job all the time. This is good, right? But I want you to think about the fact that there are some dangers that are just, I mean, some jobs that are just dangerous. And being a shepherd is one of those jobs that at the time of Jesus was just a dangerous job. There was no way around that. It was going to be dangerous. Now, if you think about... Uh, if you think about the work of a police officer, the work of a police officer is just dangerous, right? And some of those dangers are dangers from accidents. One of the things that kills police officers a lot is not any kind of violence or intentional act, but when they're on the side of the road and somebody doesn't notice and hits them and they die. That's a danger, right? And so you train people to avoid that danger as best as possible, and you give them lights so that you can see them better, and you give them reflective clothing. Again, you give all this possible, best possible safety cautions that you can. But then the other part of the job that makes it dangerous is the fact that there are people who don't want the police around because they're doing wicked things. And so they are liable to be violent to the police, right? Now, my point isn't to puff up police. My point is just to say, look, this is, this is a job that we understand as a people is dangerous. It has inherent dangers in the job. And this is what it was with a shepherd. There were inherent dangers that you could not get away from if you were a shepherd. And those dangers included the types of dangers that are just sort of incidental, accidental difficulties of the job, like weather-related dangers. Okay? And <clears throat> there were also dangers from thieves and robbers. And so I was reading, uh, I was reading a commentary on, on this passage. I don't remember who it was, but he was talking about how there were still shepherds, right? And he said, of course, uh, that there are still dangers for shepherds, and he had spoken to several shepherds in the process of uh, preparing to write or preach. I don't remember whether it was a commentary or a sermon or what, but he, uh, he pointed out to the people, I think that it had been in their area, so they may have even heard about it, uh, that not that long before, uh, a shepherd had died protecting the sheep in their area from thieves. And he had done his best to protect them, and they had 
killed him and taken the flock. And so this is one of the dangers. Another one of the dangers is attacks from wild animals. Depending on what kind of animal you're taking care of, maybe you're, you know, maybe you're taking care of sheep in Palestine. There's going to be some wild animals there. And then maybe if you were taking care of uh, cows in the Midwest, there might not be too, anim too many animals that you need to worry about, right? And plus, we've got guns today, so it's a little bit easier to protect against coyotes or wolves or bears or whatever may attack. But Jesus is the good shepherd. And the good shepherd did not just protect the sheep successfully, but the good shepherd died in the process of saving the sheep. It wasn't that the good shepherd died and then the sheep were taken, right? The good shepherd died and the sheep were saved by his very death. He laid down his life so that the sheep might be saved. And not just so that they might be saved, he says in verse 10, that they might live and live abundantly. In fact, as we've seen earlier in John, the Good Shepherd guarantees eternal life for his sheep. So, abundant life, uh, people have twisted that to talk about the abundant life of the here and now and to make Jesus' death into some sort of thing so that we can be rich or so that we can always be healthy, right? And what a disgusting, disgusting, twisted message because it's not about the abundant life that's being spoken of here. Yes, it includes our earthly, all of the earthly blessings that we receive from his hand. But ultimately, it is about that eternal life. That life is truly abundant. The, the, the promise of life and the, re, the reception of life that we get is life that is so abundant that it is eternal. We think back to uh, Jesus speaking about the living water, right? It's not just water that quenches thirst, but it's water that perpetually quenches thirst. We don't just receive life. We receive abundant life. We receive eternal life from him. So this good shepherd, we need to love this good shepherd, don't we? <clears throat> if we are his sheep, you think about you think about the um, the laying down of a life for the protection of others, and 
it, you can't help but be emotionally moved by that, if you actually think about it. I mean, isn't this what all of the best movies do to you? They give you this, they give you this emotional rush of the, the love that you ought to have even as an outsider watching a fake movie about pretend people, right? A made-up story. You can't help but have that emotional feeling of, of delighting in the fact that this laying down of life for the sake of others happens. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And this is not a fake story in a made-up movie. This is the reality of Jesus, our shepherd, laying down his life on our behalf. What else do we have here? Well, we also have Jesus calling himself the door in this passage, right? Verses 7 and 9, both Jesus calls himself the door. And what we see is that if we do not enter by him, we cannot have the blessings that are promised to the sheep of the good shepherd. So if we have, on the one hand, the, the people of God being promised life abundantly, on the other hand, we have this statement that Jesus is the door, and if you don't go through the door, then what? You don't receive that blessing. You don't receive the good life. So what a wonderful promise. What a wonderful aspect of this, uh, this salvation that we can look at Jesus, and see him as the good shepherd, see what he has done for us, see ourselves as the sheep, see himself as the shepherd, and then all of a sudden you've got, on the flip side, this idea of, the door. And this whole other contrast set up between those who are truly in, those who are actually out. You've got this other set of dangers that is introduced into the story. And so Jesus is the door that we must enter through in order to receive those promised blessings. Now, What does it mean to be in the sheepfold? We've got to make sense of that in order for this, to, this story to really connect, right? The sheepfold was the place where the sheep were protected. And so to be a part of God's sheepfold is to be a part of his church. Okay, And this is, this is important that we actually see this as the church because otherwise we won't be able to make any sense of the discussion of thieves and robbers and uh, hirelings that comes later. Because all of those things are with reference to Leading, guiding, caring for, protecting this group of people, this particular group of people, which is the flock, 
not any sort of universal protection. It's the interaction that this group of people has that is all part of this sheepfold inside this protective wall that has only one door, only one way in and out, right? So this is the church that Jesus is speaking of. And Jesus, in calling himself the door and declaring that nobody else can receive any kind of, uh, any of the benefits of being a part of that sheepfold, we, we get to expand beyond that and realize that all of, the, um, all of those blessings are given to the entire church, but they're also kept from everybody else that's outside of the church. The whole world is intent on trying to get those blessings, but without going through the door. Okay? The whole world is, is demanding that they be able to receive those blessings, but without ever having gone through the door. And that's our temptation, too. The world is made up of sheep and goats living in a world of predators. This is, and I mean, it, you, you can't try to map everything too closely here, but you just got to realize that there are sheep and goats, that Jesus speaks of the sheep being his and the goats being not his. The sheep receiving the blessing, the goats being sent to punishment, right? And so there are sheep and goats and the sheep are part of his sheepfold, and the goats are not part of his sheepfold. And there are predators. I was just talking to my brother-in-law earlier this week, and he was describing the movie Zootopia to me. Have any of you seen Zootopia? A couple of you in here have seen Zootopia. And... Uh, in verse 9, what we see here, when Jesus says, I am the door, if anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. All right? That's a declaration of the need that we have for protection. Of how we're going to receive safety, how we're going to receive the feeding, the benefits, the blessings that come from this good shepherd, right? We need a safe place to go in and out, to be fed. But what is Zootopia? Zootopia is a denial that there is such a thing as actual predators. It's bizarre. It's this crazy utopian dream that we can just declare that we are safe outside of the sheepfold. Are we safe outside of the sheepfold? No, because there are actually predators. In Zootopia, it's appropriately named. It's, it's a zoo 
utopian. It's this utopian dream that somehow the predators can live at peace with the, the sheep, right? And that everybody will just get along and the predators won't actually harm the sheep. But of course, anytime you were, you, if you were to try to make a movie about a utopia, it would be boring, wouldn't it? Everything was great, and then everything was great, and everything was perfect, and there were no problems, and then it was great. The end. What do we learn from that? Well, we learn how to make bad movies, I suppose. No, what, what you learn is that even in Zootopia, there is a predator that you actually have to worry about. And it just so happens that the bad guy in Zootopia is what? Does anybody know? It's a sheep! <laughs> and, what, and so even as Hollywood does its best to declare that there's no such thing as predators, that, that really you don't have to worry about there being such a thing as right and wrong and true and false and predators and sheep. They can't help but declare the truth of God's word that there are sheep that aren't really sheep. There are sheep that are actually wolves in sheep's clothing that look innocent but that are actually seeking to harm you. So there's the, there's the story of our passage in movie form, right? In a bizarre sort of way. But uh, none of us think about uh, Zootopia as something that's going to be our hope for the future, our way of getting the benefits and the promises, the promised blessings, right? But what are we tempted by? Well, ironically, some of us look to the government and the police to be the way that we're going to receive these blessings, that we're going to be kept safe, right? If you look around you, you, you will absolutely see this, that there are people who cannot accept the reality of there being harm done by police officers or harm done by the government and its policies because that's the hope that they have. Their hope is in the protection of the government rather than in the good shepherd. There are others <clears throat> of us who trust not that the government is perfect and is going to save us, but that the new government that we're about to get is going to save us. If we can just get the right people in, then we'll make America great again. And so our hope isn't in the government, but is in the greatness of the country. And that will be the thing that protects us. The fact that we are part of a great nation is how we can have hope for the future. 
Now this, of course, is a absurd on all kinds of levels. One is the fact that there have been much greater countries in the past that have totally fallen apart and gone down the tubes and everybody dies. All right? But it's also absurd because look at the greatness, the supposed greatness of this nation, and what do you see? Well, you see the wickedness of abortion. You see the wickedness of our bloodshed, of our sexual immorality, and you look around and you think, this is great? And then you take what God promises for his judgments on nations that reject him. And if this is a great nation, it's a great nation that is guaranteed by God to end in destruction unless there's repentance. And so I, I was interested to see um, a few weeks ago Mike Pence say about Donald Trump that he is absolutely a man of faith. that he's a man of great faith, and, and it followed, he followed it up by saying that he has faith in, you know, the American people. He has faith in the American people. And then a couple, uh, or I think it was this week or, or last week, I happened to be um, snookered into clicking on a clickbait link that had, like, a list of people, and you have to, you know, you get one sentence, and then you have to click next to get to the next one. And it's like, would you just show me what I was trying to get to that you snookered me in with the first place? Well, at some point, as I was clicking through this list, I happened across, um, I happened across a statement um, from a man who is, who is an atheist. And uh, he calls himself not a militant atheist, but that he, has, he, he definitely has... Um, you know, he looks up to those who are militant atheists. And uh, he's an actor. I, I'd never heard of him. You, you probably know who he is if I told you his name, but I can't remember it. So uh, anyway, so he, he, here he is. He's this atheist. And, and, uh, and you know what he says? He says that he has faith in his fellow people, in his fellow man. It's just so funny, you know. Our, our discernment as a nation has gotten to the point where you can say that somebody's a person of faith if that means that they completely deny that there is a God and only believe that people are good. This is what it means to be a man of deep faith today. It's, it's crazy. It's laughable. It's absolutely, it's insane. And yet that's what an awful lot of people today have their hope in. They have their hope in the fact that people are amazing. That's it. That people are, that people are amazing. Or even less than that, that people are good. 
at our core, I know that we're all really, really, we've, we've all got this, this, this kernel of good desire in us that's going to grow and bear fruit as a society. And so it's, it can be summed up in wherever two or three are gathered, there is love. But of course, if you've ever worked with anybody else, you know that wherever two or three are gathered, there is irritation and evil and hate and infighting and backbiting and backstabbing and all of the things that you started out doing before you could talk with your brothers and your sisters. And you're still doing them when you're 30 and, and working in a large corporation as a mature adult with other mature adults. Yes, I've got those scare quotes, right? What a, what a crazy thing. All the things that we want to put our hope in. All the things that we're tempted to put our hope in. We've got, on the one hand, the door into the actual sheepfold. We have the actual good shepherd who will lay down his life for the sheep, has laid down his life for the sheep. We have all of his promises, all of the blessings that come from being a part of his sheepfold. And then we have the people who are doing their best to claim those blessings without ever submitting themselves to that shepherd, without ever going through that door. We want to find some way of climbing in over the top. Still others of us looking closer to home trust our family, to our home, to be the castle of protection for us and ours. That is going to keep the dangerous world out. Right? But the same problem, that, at, at the core, if that's your hope, if you're going to retreat from the world into the enclave of your own home, you've got to recognize that you're, you're believing the same thing that that atheist and that Donald Trump believed. You're believing in the goodness of man at its core. That you and your family aren't going to be sinners as long as you can keep yourself untouched from the outside world. And so you can keep from watching any of those wicked, evil Disney movies or name the, name the company, right? Keep all those magazines out of your house and keep all those television stations out of your house and keep the internet out of your house and hide your cat and hide your dog and hide your kids. And what? What? In the end, there you are. And, and your sin. Only the good shepherd can keep you safe. Only entering through him as the door will cleanse you from the unrighteousness. You're not cleansed by avoiding 
the world. One of my favorite categories of utopia, though, is the people who look to science and technology and advancement as their hope for the future. <clears throat> there's a lot of people, I mentioned this at men's group a couple weeks back, but there's a lot of people who think that we can prevent death, that we're really going to be, we're about on the verge of preventing death. Uh, from medicine, <clears throat> you know, if we can just figure out how stem cells work and reverse the age, we'll be able to literally reverse the aging process and everybody will live forever. People believe this right now. Why? Why would you believe that? Well, they would say, well, because of science. And what I would say to you is, you know what the most recent scientific evidence about the longevity of man says? Just came out this week. They were never going to live past 115. Everyone's really angry about that paper, by the way. <laughs> but does that sound familiar to you? It's almost like God's word and, and guarantees are true, isn't it? We're not going to be able to prevent the horrors of death, the horrors of sin, the predations that happen in this world by escaping into our utopia. When I was, when I was at Vanderbilt and I was an RA, one of the utopias there was the feminist utopia. And I went through training and they, they wanted us to put an end to... Um, They wanted us to put an end to the kinds of things that Donald Trump is on the news for doing. That's what they wanted to do. <clears throat> and so their solution to, uh, to stop sexual predation uh, of women was to, uh, what? To declare it so. Yeah, that's the, that's the best way to put it. That if we simply... Um, that if we simply didn't accept it anymore, that it would be gone. Uh, there's, such a, there's such a weird you know, disconnect between reality and, and this idea that it's hard for me to even describe it, but <clears throat> it made everyone who had any understanding of reality very, very angry, especially the women who saw that what it was going to do is leave women more vulnerable to predators. They, they cared about actually protecting women, not simply escaping to this utopia. Really, what I'm trying to drive home is the fact that any Anything that you put your hope in that's outside of the shepherd, the good shepherd of the sheep, that is any way uh, accomplished besides going through him as the door, is 
a utopia, is as absurd as Zootopia, is as absurd as saying, we're not going to take it anymore, so therefore it won't happen anymore. It's to claim the benefits of the Good Shepherd without ever going through the door into his sheepfold. And so, then when Jesus begins to speak about thieves and robbers, this is where your whole utopia blows up. Because Jesus is speaking about the actual dangers that are out there and that the only way they can be protect, you know, that you can be protected from them is by having the good shepherd. So who are the thieves and the robbers? Well, thieves and robbers are anyone who tries to get you to believe in one of these utopias. Okay? Their goal is not the protection of you and the other sheep. Their goal is actually to steal and destroy and kill. And that's why those of us who had some connection to reality were so angry at the training that we received at Vanderbilt. Because the training said, you may never, ever warn a young lady not to do something dangerous. Never, ever, ever warn her against doing something where she could be abused. Never warn her against that danger. And what's obvious right there is that they don't care that the sheep are destroyed. In fact, their goal is to make use of the sheep. To let the sheep die in order that they may receive some benefit. Do you understand that? Their motives are wicked. Their motives are to steal and kill and destroy. Now, of course, <clears throat> women's studies and philosophy professors at Vanderbilt are far away. But the number of people who are thieves and robbers is large, and they're all around us. And so anyone whose teaching leads you away from the door, who leads you away from Jesus Christ, is a thief and a robber. One example that we have, of course, in our text is the Pharisees. Now, they're not mentioned in John 10, 1 through 18, right? But that's why I spent all that time at the beginning talking about the context is the Pharisees being declared blind, they are the religious leaders, they are 
the people who are supposed to be shepherding the sheep of God's flock. But they were thieves and robbers because they were leading people away from the door, Jesus Christ. How do I say that? Well, because they just had gotten done kicking the the man who had been born blind out of the synagogue because he praised Jesus' name. They made good on their threat to put somebody out of the synagogue who worshipped Jesus. So what did the man who was born blind do? He went in at the door. And they did their best to oppose him going in at the door. They tried to lead him away from the door. They tried to lead him away from Jesus Christ. And that action kept other people away from the door as well, didn't it? Because they didn't want to be put out of the synagogue like the man who had been born blind. And so the Pharisees were thieves and robbers. Anyone whose teaching leads you away from that door is a thief and a robber. So other teachers will claim to be leading you to, be Je- to, to Jesus, but will be proclaiming a different Jesus. They're not leading you to the door. Do, do you understand? Just because they say that they're leading you to Jesus does not mean that they're taking you to the door. If you just think about the fact that there are thieves and robbers, <clears throat> you think about Little Red Riding Hood, right, and there's a wolf, The story doesn't go this way, but can't you see the wolf saying, Oh, you're lost? Come with me. I'll take you to Grandma's house. But where's the wolf going to take Little Red Riding Hood? To the lair. To the den. Away from safety. Not to the door, right? So just because somebody says they're leading you to Jesus does not mean that they're leading you to Jesus. The Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, they claim to be leading you to Jesus. What is it called? Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints, right? But is it a church that leads to the door? No. So cults are an example. So are heretics, right? Heretics proclaim a different Jesus. When you think of uh, heresy, most of the time what you're talking about is the uh, teachings that strike at the core of who God is. So any, any change that says Jesus wasn't fully God, or Jesus wasn't fully man, or there's only, there's only one person in the Godhead and he takes on different modes, or there's actually three different gods. All of these are heresies, right? 
And therefore, all of them are leading you away from the true Jesus, away from the door, and into heresy. Now, I think the most dangerous place for us is not in the particular uh, theological teaching of heresy, but in rather those who claim to be followers of Jesus, those teachers who will claim to be leading you to Jesus, but will combine uh, generally good theology with a justification of some particular sin. Okay? Now, it's impossible that their theology will be good at that point. You may not see where their theology is bad, but of course, we've seen over and over again that belief and action go together, right? But whenever you, whenever you start trying to justify living in sin, whenever somebody teaching you starts trying to justify you being able to sin, you being able to keep from repenting of this one area in your life, what do you know? Thief, robber, run away. Run away. Why? Well, because there's danger. Well, why is there danger? Well, because they want to eat you. They want to make use of you. They want to benefit at your expense. They are not good shepherds that will lay down their life for you. And so their motives are specifically explained. Verse 10 says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. The motives of those who seek to lead you astray are always evil. Their motives are evil. You know what they're trying to do. And you know why they are trying to do it. You should be careful of assuming you know the motives of people, especially with those areas where we have Christian freedom, as we spoke about last week. But when somebody does something that is described in this passage, leading you away from the door, you don't have to wonder what their motives are. You know what their motives are. And to ignore the motives or to refuse to recognize the motive is ultimately to refuse to see the danger and to ignore and leave behind the warning. So don't ever get... uh, Don't ever get too caught up in this idea that we have today that we should never that we should never speak about motives. All right? The Bible talks about motives all the time. And it warns us against having bad motives, and it also points out what the motives of people were over and over and over again. And we ought to be able to apply that. Because if we can't apply it, if 
motive. We can't remember that thieves and robbers' motives are that we would be harmed. Then we're going to look at their promises and we're going to be like, oh, hey, I mean, I know that I need to go in at the door, but in the meantime, look what I can get over here. No, they're trying to eat you. That's their motive. Forget that and you've lost the warning. Refuse to apply it and you can't ever be warned against the danger. Now, I think the most difficult thing in our passage is actually the hired hands, the hirelings. And this is a different group of people than the thieves, right? The shepherds, the, the under-shepherds that are wicked, but the, it doesn't call them thieves trying to come in and steal. Paul explains that the motives can be bad. And again, here we return to motives, right? Paul explains that the motives can be bad of preachers, but the preaching good. Dun, dun, dun. I'm going to read to you from Philippians 1, verses 15 to 18. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife. That's the motive, from envy and strife. But some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. <clears throat> so these are the, these are the hirelings hired hands that run away when the danger comes. <clears throat> you think all the way back to this guy who stood there and faced down the robbers and died, right? And you think about what you would do. Well, you don't immediately think about yourself as owning the sheep, do you? <laughs> you think about that being your job, just to stand there and protect the sheep, and it's like, man... What do they say about your wallet? It's not lo worth losing your life over. Give it to them when somebody wants to hold you up, right? This is good advice. And it's good advice all the way down the line until, until when? Until you're talking about the shepherd of the sheep. And a good shepherd does not run away when there's danger. A better way, or a, you know, a more direct way of thinking about this is, I remember when I took some self-defense, uh, you know, the, that common refrain, it's not worth it, give it to them. 
It's not worth it. Give it to him. It's not worth it. Give it to him. But, but, what if you're with your wife and your kids? Then what? Well, it's, the wallet's still not worth it. The phone's still not worth it. The keys still aren't worth it. Give it to them. But if they intend harm to your wife and children, now all of a sudden everything's changed, right? Everything's changed. Why? Well, because now is your chance to star in the movie that you've always wanted to live in. <laughs> no, because, <laughs> because the movies have been pointing to that Reality, that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, that the good father doesn't run away when danger comes. And so being under a hired hand means that you're still in danger, aren't you? Because you've got nobody who's actually protecting you. They can do plenty of good, but only until the moment the danger comes. And it's often only in the moment when the danger comes that we finally realize whether we're a good shepherd or a bad shepherd. Whether our shepherd is good or bad. That's when we suddenly realize. And so you hear stories about men who... Uh, they were the upstanding citizen, the good man, and then all of a sudden this danger comes. And what? They jump up and are throwing the table behind them and running away, and their kids are behind them. And what? You, all of a sudden, doesn't matter how old they are, doesn't matter how good their character was assumed to be, everybody knows what's really inside at that moment. There's nothing that you can do to undo that. When they are most needed, the hireling disappears, leaving the sheep in danger from wolves. But, but, and here's the beauty of it, those who have Christ, those who are sheep, not goats, will eventually reject teachers who do not lead them by Christ's voice. Do you understand that? What, where do we see that in the passage? The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And then verse 4, the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. And so you'll hear the voice of your Savior as people speak his words, as shepherds speak his truth. You'll hear his voice. And so eventually, all sheep 
will flee from danger. That's a beautiful thing. Even if we're tempted for a time, even if we run to a different door, a different sheepfold for a time, if we are Christ's sheep, his voice will come to us and we will follow him. Augustine on this passage says, It is easy to hear Christ, easy to praise the gospel, easy to applaud the preacher, but to endure unto the end is peculiar to the sheep who hear the shepherd's voice. A temptation befalls thee, endure to the end. For the temptation will not endure to the end. Let's pray.